Would you stand with us as we thank God this morning? Wandering into the night Wanting a place to hide this weary soul This bag of bones And I cried with all my might But I just can't win the fight I'm slowly drifting A vagabond
This is my story, this is my song. I got a testimony to see. a new song. It's called The Dove. And we see in Scripture the Dove is a representative of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we sort of demote the Holy Spirit. But the fact is, is the Holy Spirit is equal within the triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God could have stopped at God the Father, God the Son. Because God the Father sent the Son who died in our place to pay for our sin. But God didn't stop there. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He didn't save us and then say, okay, they're good. I don't have to worry about it. No, I wanna be close. I want communion with my children. I want relationship. I want them to know I want them to hear my voice say, I'm here, I'm your helper, I'm your comforter, I'm your healer, I am present, I am not 
I have not lost control. I am still on the throne. Trust in me, know me, know that I love you, know that I'm here in the trial, in the valley, in the storm, in your doubt, in your fear, in the times where you think everything is just broken into absolute chaos, when nothing else makes sense, God is still there and he says, I am present through the Holy Spirit. And that dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is mighty. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit can do miracles within us. This morning, let's sing and welcome it, embrace it, move into it, that relationship with God that he longs for so deeply. Would you pray it with me? Father God, we thank you for the gift. We thank you that you are not a far away God, but you are an intimately close God. We thank you for your care. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your love. We thank you that no matter where we go or what we do, you are right there. You are right there. You are right there. You never ever leave our side. Even when we think it is hopeless, even when we think the dark will never break, even when we think the storm is too strong, when we think we have no strength left, when all we feel is doubt and fear, when all we feel is sickness, Father God, you are there and you are the one who says, I love you, I saved you, you are mine, you are my beloved, I will never fail you. You may have to go through this valley, you may have to survive this storm, but I am your rock, I am your firm foundation, and through my Holy Spirit, I can speak to you and we can commune with one another. Listen. Embrace me. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.
experienced God's goodness? Have you experienced His faithfulness and His mercy? Sing the song with me. I love you, Lord. Lift it up, church. Oh, your mercy. Let Him hear you. I know you as a father. 
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Uh, so glad that you're with us today. Wasn't that special? That was a great, that new song, especially that uh, Holy Spirit song. Yeah. Reminds me of what's going on in Ashbury College. Anybody following that? Uh, uh, see that? They're like a movement of God down there. And I think they started a worship service like three weeks ago and it hasn't stopped. If you haven't checked that out, pretty amazing stuff. Uh, we are so glad you're here, whether you're on campus or online. Welcome all, all you online people, whether you're outside right now, maybe in the worship venue right now. We are just excited that you're joining us today. If you're new to us, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. And I've actually been meeting a lot of new families recently coming to our church. 
encouraging. So I'll be on the patio afterwards. Please come and say hi. Don't be shy. I got to do that this morning. That was a, a pleasure. So please. And if you're one of those people I talk to all the time, maybe this is not the week to talk to you. And we can uh, have some other people, you know, who are waiting in line kind of say hello. So, uh, but free, please don't feel shy. Please come and say hello. I, I wonder if you've ever um, been surprised by the impact that you were able to have in a given scenario. Uh, have you ever been taken aback by how much influence you had in a given situation? Maybe it was something that was unexpected. Have you ever marveled at your own effort in, in something that you didn't have the slightest idea you had that much influence over? Now, I don't know if you caught it this week, but there's a little video, a cute video that went viral online about this little boy who goes to his first ever hockey game. And he realizes how much power and influence he's had over the entire arena. In fact, I, I thought it was so cute, uh, I, I decided to show it to you today. We'll put it on the screen real quick. I saw that this week. Raise your hand if you saw that. I'm like, only a few of you. Okay, great. Great. Well, listen, that just went viral this week. You can check it out. I had to watch it like 14 times. That was so cute. Uh, I'll show it to you in a second again, but let me tell you what's going on. Uh, there's a play in the game where one of the players gets hurt, and he slides into the wall really hard, and he's injured, and so they have to get the medical staff out there to help him out. And then there's a flag, or not a flag. I don't watch cocky, but whatever. There's a penalty on the play, and so now the referees are trying to figure out who's going to be on the court, who's on the ice, and who's not going to be on the ice, and how how are we going to make this happen because the injured player, all this stuff. While this is all going on, like the in-house people are trying to figure out how we're going to keep these people entertained. And so the way they keep them entertained is like, I wonder what we'll do. We'll take a picture of this kid, put him on the big screen. He is uh, wearing a Red Wings jersey, which is the home crowd. And then we'll kind of go back and forth between the Vancouver, I don't even know what they are, Vancouver somethings, and, uh, and, and the Red Wings. And, and, and the, the crowd will chant when, when they see the red jersey and they'll boo when they see the blue jersey and you see this kid like going what's going on it's my first game ever I've never been one of these things and he goes to the and like oh my gosh I think they're cheering for me and he sees himself on the screen and then his smile comes on he's like I control this whole stadium they're doing this for me <laughs> now I want you to watch it again and just watch his face as he begins to realize what's happening watch it one more time
You can see his like confidence growing every time. He's like, he's like starting to realize, he, at first he's bewildered, he doesn't know what's going on, then he's nervous, then he starts smiling, he starts jumping up and down, and he realizes, or he thinks to himself, this is all because of me. And uh, I just love it. I had to watch it like 14 times, and so I thought I'd show it to you twice. You can go online and check that out yourself. But he's completely shocked. Here the whole stadium is chanting when his picture gets on the screen. He doesn't even know what to make of it. Little boy trying to figure out what's going on. And I share that this morning because here we have God in heaven whose purpose to use us on this earth. And yet when he does so, sometimes we have that kid's face on our face. Like, like we're shocked. <laughs> we're amazed. Like, well, what's going on here? And yet that is God's very purpose to use us on this earth. And might I say, not just to use the pastor, but to use us, everybody. And yet we have that face, like, what's going on here? I'm bewildered. I'm I'm not sure. I'm kind of confused as to what's going on, the shock, the confusion, the awkwardness, the bewilderment, the completely taken back at the fact that God would use us, and yet that's exactly what God has purposed to do. Today we're going to see a surprising thing in our text as it relates to God using Samuel in a new way. In fact, you might even say, many might say that they would have expected God to use someone else. But he doesn't. He used Samuel. How can we learn from this story and begin to expect God to use us in our lives? And what stops us from moving forward? Isn't there someone other than me that's more qualified? And and God doesn't use people that struggle with trepidation, does he? Couldn't he just find someone else? Or, if I, or, or how can I get over this fear that's so stifling towards any kind of use in God's kingdom? For that, we're going to be in your Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 3. I encourage you to open it now. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have your phone, pull it out. Uh, open up the Bible app. If you're online, get another window open. We want this to saturate, and we want to marinate under this word. Uh, as, and you know, I was interesting. On Friday, I cook for the family because my wife works at the pantry all day, so I, that's my one time I do dinner. And so I went on YouTube, and I, you guys know who Martin Yang is? If Yang can cook, so can you. No? Anyway? Anyway. Anyway, so I was watching him, and he was teaching me how to marinate chicken or whatever, you know, and I had to do this thing. And, then, and at the done the marinade, you mix it all together, and you got to put it in the refrigerator for, for an hour. Why? Because you want that marinade to, to seep inside the chicken. You want it to go inside. That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to like, be that marinated chicken. We want to stay under the Word of God and let it marinate in our souls so it changes us from the inside out. To do that, we need to be very attentive to His Word. So I encourage you, open up the Word, uh, bring a pencil, bring a highlighter, and, and, and dig deep as we, as we divide the Word together and we look at it together. Overarching question today is, why does it surprise us when God moves in our individual lives? Why is it so surprising? that God would move in our individual lives. And the first thing we're gonna see is because we expect him to use someone else. We expect him to use someone else. Like that's what you do with other people. That's not what you do with me. That's what you do with him on the stage every week. That's why he's up there. Uh, That's not what you do with me. We expect him to use someone else. There's always somebody better, more qualified. Uh, In our minds, the enemy uh, kind of renders us useless by convincing us that this, this is really for somebody else to do. Why is it so surprising to us when God moves in our individual lives? Because we expect him to use somebody else. Let's look at this in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1 through 9 together. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. It says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. I would love for you to highlight that, underline that, circle that. Uh, that's kind of like the thesis statement of the entire chapter. 
that says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There, were, there was no frequent vision. Just keep that in the back of your head. We'll come back to that. At that time, Eli, whose eyes, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place, and the lamp of God had not gone out yet. It's nighttime. And Samuel was lying, lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel and said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And he, and he said, I didn't call you, lie back down. And so he went down and laid down again. Verse 6, And the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli again a second time. Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, or the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then the Lord came to Samuel a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called for me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, and therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you again, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and laid down in his place again. Why does it surprise us when God moves in our individual lives? Because we're expecting him to move in someone else. We're expecting him to use someone else. Here we see at the very beginning that the prophetic word of the Lord had gone silent in those days. Now, if you've been hanging out with us for the last several weeks, you could understand why in this specific situation, why that would be the case. Eli, as the high priest over all of Israel, the, the high priestly family, the, the first family of all of Israel, and his sons were participating in wicked activities. Uh, the one that maybe Eli participated in was simply eating of the meat that his son stole from the sacrifice to God. They took the choicest meat that was supposed to be relegated to God, and they were eating it themselves while all the people were sacrificing God, thinking it's to be sacrificed to God. They're eating it themselves. Uh, stipulated in the Old Testament, you're not supposed to eat of this. This is for God. They were eating of it. And there is a chance that Eli was participating in that eating. At least it's hinted to in the text. The second part he was not participating in, and that is that his sons were sleeping with the women who came to help at the temple. You talk about a, 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 a mad power grab, uh, using religiosity for sexual favors. Horrible. It's horrible in today's culture. It was horrible in that culture as well. And so uh, he didn't do anything about that. And because of these atrocities, you could see God going silent. Of course, I'm not going to work with you. I'm not going to do anything on your behalf. I'm going to go silent because of your behaviors. The wickedness in the first family maybe led to those, that silence. In addition to that, I want to say just on a grander scheme of the whole entire Bible, there are periods of time where God is uh, ever-present and periods of time where he goes silent, just like we see in the text. He was silent in those days. There are times where he's ever-present, more miraculous, more prophetic. Uh, the miraculous activities are more available. We saw this when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth and validating his son as the Messiah. We saw this when the apostles were still writing the scriptures, uh, validating the apostles. Uh, this is the word of the Lord, validated by miraculous. And so there have been times where God is ever present in the miraculous realm, and there's times where he pulls back as well. Now, we might call that a season or an epoch of time. Some people call it a dispensation. Uh, times where he's more miraculous and times where he decides not to be. According to Joel chapter 2, if you want to read this, we know in the end times the miraculous will come back again. 
that there will be a lot more prophesying and miraculous activity as God brings this closure to uh, the sin in the world and his redemptive plan. And so as that comes on the scene, we should expect more, but there may be seasons in between then where he's silent, so to speak. But for our purposes today, we just need to know that prophetically, the prophetic way or special revelation was silent in the time of Samuel. That is until this story. All of a sudden, God comes out of silence and speaks to a person, and this person he speaks to is Samuel. Now, this is really important because there seems to be a transition that's going on here. Um, The person that everybody would expect God to speak to would be the high priest, the high priestly family. Like that's, that's the intermediary between God and, and man would be this person who's supposed to help us find faith in God, the person who's supposed to bring us uh, in a religious uh, devoutness, and yet they're so out of whack, God says, I'm going to set you aside, and I'm going to take Samuel, and I'm going to make him more prominent. Eli's time is coming to an end, and Samuel's time is coming to the forefront. And so the prophetic word of God comes to life in this interaction with Samuel. Now, uh, uh, also what's going on in the background, obviously Eli's getting older, he can't see, he's relegated to his own apartment, so to speak. However, Samuel is at the temple. He's at the temple and he's sleeping in the temple and his job is to keep the menorah lit. Uh, There was a candle that was to remain lit at all times in the temple, representing the presence of God. The, the menorah candle represents the presence of God. He's always there, right? So you got to keep that candle line. There to be a priest that would be on duty. So Samuel seems to be on duty in the temple uh, right next to the ark of God. Did you see that? Where it says he was right there next to the ark. Uh, verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. So we know it's nighttime because in the morning uh, it would be kept on, on at night. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So here's Samuel uh, close to the ark of God, which represented the, the presence of God. It, a box can't ho- house the, the presence of God because God is everywhere, but it represented the presence of God, just like, the, the, just like the, the candles represent the presence of God. In the temple, right next to the mercy seat, was the ark, and Samuel's there. And yet Eli is in his room. And you can see almost like a figurative uh, 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 passing of the guard. Eli, that was your place of prominence. You're now off in the room. Samuel, you're in the temple in the holy place right next to the, coven, the, the Ark of the Covenant. You're, you're right there by the menorah, keeping those candles lit. You're in the very presence of God where Samuel is getting closer to, Eli is moving farther away from. And so there seems to be some kind of a transition going on here as to who God's going to be using in the future. But, but one might say, everybody would have expected if God's going to move, he's going to use that family and that person. It should have been Eli. But it wasn't. God comes to Samuel. And he calls Samuel a first time. Um, and, and uh, you know, Samuel's sitting there, you know, he, he hears God, and he, he runs thinking it's Eli, and he runs to him and says, hey, you called for me. And, 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 Samuel, and, and Eli says, no, I didn't call for you, Samuel. Go back and go to sleep. So he goes back and he goes to sleep. A second time, calls again. He goes, oh, you called a second time, obviously, because the first time I was wrong, but this time it had to be you. And and so he calls and he goes, no, I didn't call you a second time. Go back to bed. But this time we get a a little bit more of a description. If you go to verse 6 and 7, the Lord called Samuel. 
And Samuel rose and went to Eli. This is the second time. Here I am, for he called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lay down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, this can't mean that he doesn't know God and he has no relation with God. What it must mean is that he's never received a direct word from God, so he doesn't know what to expect. Like, he never talked to me like me and you talking. So I don't know what to expect. I, 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 I thought it was, obviously, it must be Eli, because somebody can't be talking to me out of thin air. And so he's going through this whole process, and the second time he goes, now the third time it happens again, and this time Eli says something's up. Something's got to be up, because there's no way after the first and second time that he's going to not make sure that he didn't not hear something or something, you know, that sounded like, no, it must be he's hearing something. And this time Samuel says, I'm going to try to see if it's the Lord trying to talk to him. In verse 8, the Lord called to Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for he called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy, and therefore Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel went and lay down in his place. Again, this becomes like the climax to this, to this storyline that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's deeply ironic. Why in the world would God be calling out to a servant, a minister to the priest? He was just a servant to the priest. Why was Samuel being called of God and not Eli? Everybody would have expected that Eli would be the one to hear from the Lord. And yet it's Samuel. So let's take this in here. God has gone silent, according to the text. And when he speaks for the first time coming out of his silence, he bypasses the high priest and speaks to his servant. Be careful that your expectation that God should use someone else doesn't relegate you to uselessness. Be careful that your expectation that God will use someone else or should use someone else doesn't relegate you to uselessness. Samuel could have taken the position of, oh, that's, not my, that's not my job. <laughs> no, that's you. That's, I mean, you, you should be talking to him. But he said, no, no, I'm, I'm available to be used by God. I'm not going to let this idea that there maybe there's somebody else better out there stifle me from being used by God. Why does it surprise us when God moves in our individual lives? Because we expect him to use someone else. We always think to ourselves, there's somebody better for that position, somebody better for that job, somebody more qualified, somebody older, somebody more mature. And yet God could be saying, no, I want to use you. How about I just use you? How about all the experiences of your past that you feel like are the things that are the reasons why you're disqualified? What if I allowed those just for this situation here because it's perfect for you? Like I want to use you in this situation if you just would let me access to your whole life. Why does it surprise us when God moves in our individual lives because we expect him to use somebody else? Number two, because we allow fear to hold us back. So if I can finally get over the fact that God doesn't want to use somebody else, he wants to use me, now I've got to get over this like stifling fear and anxiety and awkwardness that, man, I'm not sure I can do this. Why is it so surprising when God moves in our individual lives? Because we, we allow fear to hold us back. Let's keep on going, verses 10 through verse 21. It says this, Then the Lord came and stood calling, uh, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel. 
at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. This is like a tingling in fear. Judgment is coming is the idea. On that day I will fulfill, uh, fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. He didn't remove them. He did nothing. He talked about it, but he didn't do any action that would stop them from doing it. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Wow, what a scary thought. Samuel lay until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid. Circle that. You can underline that, highlight that. He was afraid. What was he afraid of? Telling the vision to to Eli. (laughs) Wouldn't you be? But Eli called to Samuel, and Samuel, uh, Samuel, my son, he said to him, I am here. And Eli said, what is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May the Lord do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me that he told you. And so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, this is Eli talking here, it is the Lord. Let him do what, he seems, what seems good to him. I'd love for you to highlight that, underline that, circle that. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. We'll come back to that. And then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with them, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Very important. We'll get to that later. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord appeared, revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Why does it surprise us when God moves in our individual lives? Well, because we allow fear to hold us back. And here Samuel had the opportunity to give in to his fear or he could be used by God in that situation. And it was a difficult situation. You gotta think of Eli as like a surrogate father to, to, to Samuel. Remember, he was given as a boy to the temple use, but like, you're gonna be my father figure. And now he's getting this word from God that is kind of damning on his father figure. You gotta believe that's intimidating. That's a difficult situation to be in, but he didn't allow his fear to hold him back. And so God comes calling and he gives a shocking word to Samuel. He approaches him, he says, Samuel, Samuel, uh, this is not uh, um, uh, something that we haven't seen in the past. When God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, Abraham. When he came to Jacob, he said, Jacob, Jacob. When he came to Moses, he said, Moses, Moses. And so there's a formula here. When God is moving in a significant way in Old Testament history, he would say their name twice. And so this is a significant moment. We've seen it before, it's highly significant. Of course, he lets Samuel know that Eli's priesthood would be removed and another would be established. Everybody who would have heard of this would have shook, would have shook them to the core. In fact, it'd be so deafening, it'd be like a, a loud gong that would make your ears ring, make your ears tingle. What? The first family's being replaced? You've heard of the first lady before? This is the first religious family of, of the Old Testament. The high priest is going to be replaced. The family's being cut off. Wow. All because he didn't restrain his sons from acting immorally before the Lord. Now, as shocking as that is, and as as that information 
permeated and gone out like, like, a, like a water droplet and, and, and the waves have come out, out of it through all of Israel. As shocking as that would be to everybody, the most shocking thing that happens in this text is Eli's response. Did you, check, did you catch his response? After hearing this, in fact, he knows it. God already told him the judgment's coming, but now he knows it's on, it's on the cusp. His response is amazing. Of course, Samuel tries to avoid the situation. I wake up this morning, do my little chores, don't want to have to have this awkward conversation, kind of difficult, and then Eli's like, tell me what he said. I don't know, it's just been a regular night in the temple. No, no, you're going to tell me, and if you don't tell me, I'm going to call down curses from heaven onto you. All right, suit yourself, I'll tell you. <laughs> Get what you asked for. And again, what is surprising is not necessarily the, 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 the judgment that's coming. He already knows that. What's surprising is his response. And I want to highlight it again as we look at verse 18. And so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing that he, ha- that, that he said to him. He told him, told him everything. And Eli said, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. He's God, I'm not, whatever he sees fit. He gets to write the standard, he gets to write the guidelines, he gets to decide what's right and wrong, what's moral and immoral. Uh, I just follow it. He's God, I messed up. He's God, I'm not. And you know what, this is so refreshing. No excuses, no blame shifting like Adam and Eve. Remember when Adam got called out? Why'd you do this? That woman you gave me. It's her fault, right? Blame shifting. It's kind of like the natural human experience. It's like a human nature. We start searching for excuses. We start looking for blame shifting. We start arguing, start complaining. We start negotiating. We start manipulating. But Eli says, no, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just going to completely submit myself to God and his prerogative. He's God, I'm not, I messed up, I'm at his mercy. Can I ask you when the last time you responded that way when you were caught in a mess? It doesn't seem to be our natural response, am I right? We seem to grab at other things. You know, in pastoral ministry, 25 years, one of the things that we do that nobody sees, they see this on stage, we sing, we, we worship, we, we teach, we preach, those type of things, we do outreach events. But something that no one sees and we don't make public is when, when, when the messiness of life comes up, we, we come in and we triage. It's, it's the pastoral teams that help the families that are in dismay. Uh, uh, whether or not, whether sometimes they're, they're, it's reconcilable and we help them reconcile. Sometimes it's not reconcilable and we help the, the leftover pieces to, to, make, to make sense of things. And in those situations, almost always, I'm just telling you from history and experience, almost always there's somebody who made a decision that was contrary to the guidelines and, and, and the will of God and they took a left turn and there's all this fallout and People are hurt, and kids are hurt, and families are hurt, and, and, and sin, and if we reconcile, we got to deal with the sin. All this stuff comes up, and then we as pastors, we come in and we triage it, and you guys will never see it. It's in our offices, and, and we're praying for people and helping them. Sometimes we're meeting with them months at a time trying to, to bring about God's, uh, um, uh, you know, redeeming, reconciling love to the situation if we can. And oftentimes in these situations, you know what we get? I know I messed up, but you guys didn't handle it right. 
instead of looking into the situation and how I created the situation, I'm gonna take the focus off of that, come over here, and let's discuss how the church handled it and the church leaders, and who knows about this? You tell the elders, and, and how many, are you guys gossiping about, you wanna focus about how we're handling things, you don't wanna focus on what you did to get yourself in this mess. It seems to be like a natural human instinct, human nature, that we grab at excuses, we blame shift, we argue, we complain, we negotiate, we manipulate, anything to take the focus off of where it should be and move it somewhere else. And Eli doesn't do that. He could have done all that. Oh, they're my sons, man. I taught them how to pray. They did this stuff, and now I'm in this trouble. He doesn't do any of that. He says, you know what? He's God. I'm not. Let him do as he sees fit. I place myself at the mercies of God. Well, as we continue to see Eli is kind of moving further away from God and, and, and Samuel's moving closer to the Lord, so uh, you know, uh, is the prominence of each, the influence of each, the leadership of each is changing. God is now validating his new mouthpiece in, mouthpiece in Samuel, as we see in verse 19 and on. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And, and, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. Very significant. We'll get to that in a second. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as the prophet of the Lord. Very significant. And then the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Again, very significant. It's like a climax of significance going on here. Three things are going on. First of all, he validates him as his mouthpiece. Not a one of his words hit the ground, which is absolutely essential if you're going to be a prophet from God. In the Old Testament, if you gave a prophetic word that didn't turn out to be true or was not from God, they killed you. It was Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. What was the penalty for being inaccurate one time? Death. You had to be accurate. That's why when it says God would not let one of his words hit the ground, it's so necessary if he's going to be a prophet of God that God would validate him that way. Absolute necessity. One of my problems with modern day prophecy today is it's kind of like hit or miss. Oh, you know, we get 50% of the time we think we're doing pretty good. I don't know. I mean, like the Old Testament doesn't seem to, you know, make an allotment for that, <laughs> you know. I don't mind there being a miraculous God. I just told you that in the end times the miraculous will come back. We will see a lot more of it. God can be miraculous all he wants, but it has to be 100% accurate 100% of the time not 50% of the time. Well, so God validates him. Everybody in Israel sees it. From Dan to Beersheba. Uh, Dan would be the furthest north of the territory that Israel had established. Beersheba would be the furthest south. And so everybody recognizes that Samuel is a prophet of God. He has 100% vote of confidence. Can you imagine any president in the last 30 years getting 100% vote of confidence in the United States? I'm sure they'd love it. I don't think it's ever going to happen. He had 100% vote of confidence from all the people. They saw it. It was established. God had validated it. And finally... God was alive again in Shiloh. Remember the beginning verse? God was silent. God was distant. God was far away. He wasn't in the temple. He wasn't there. He had distanced himself because of the attitude of his people, because of the first family and their atrocities. And here God is back. He's alive again in Shiloh. The Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. God had returned. Started off the passage in silence, and now we end it with God's presence. The revelation that used to come through a priest is going to give way to revelation coming through a prophet 
Samuel the priest, as a minister of God, is becoming Samuel the prophet, God's spokesman. The first national prophet since Moses for all of Israel. A national prophet is on the scene. God is speaking again. A national prophet would be somebody who would be tasked for delivering hard messages, difficult messages. I'm going to task you to say the things that maybe people don't want to hear. And your job is to represent me as my mouthpiece and say it. Not to give way to any idea that, that you're fearful of what could happen to you. But to do exactly as I've told you to do. Well, this brings me to the big idea. Would you embrace a difficult conversation if you knew it would bring God glory? Let's, let's take this off of Samuel and put it on you for a second. Would you embrace a difficult, hard conversation, awkward conversation, if you knew at the end of that conversation is the possibility of God getting glory, of God receiving glory in the midst of it? Would you embrace that conversation? Would you assume somebody, God's got somebody else in that conversation? Would you let your fear stifle you to where you don't have that conversation? Or would you embrace a difficult, hard, awkward maybe even tense-filled, hot conversation because you thought it might bring God glory? Would you embrace that conversation if there was the possibility that you could get canceled in the midst of it? Would you embrace that conversation if you, if you, if you sensed that somebody could be hostile against you in the midst of it? All so that God might get glory in the end. Several years ago, my family lived in Arizona and my wife and I invited a lesbian couple to church for Easter. They're our neighbors. In fact, they're the raddest neighbors we had. We were like, out of all of our neighbors, they're the coolest ones. We were like, they're, they're the coolest. We thought, well, you don't know if they go to church. Let's invite them to see if they want to go to Easter with us. So my wife made some cookies. We walked over and we saw one of the ladies. And we said, hey, would you like to join us for Easter? Or if you don't have a place to go for Easter, we'd love for you to join us at our church. The gal was kind of taken aback for a second. She said she remembered as a little girl going to church, but she hadn't been in years. Then she kind of took a moment looked down and then she asked, but would my partner be welcome as well? There's no question what was going on there. We, we understood what she was saying. The person who was her roommate was actually her partner as well. And would you still be welcoming of me if you knew the truth about us? It's a great question. How would you answer it? Of course, I'm a pastor, so I'm thinking to myself, all right, I need to grab some, 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 uh, some grace over here and some truth over here, and I'm going to put this recipe together and hand over like this wonderful entree of a, you know, grace and truth. As I'm trying to grab at these things, I'm going, how about you? In a moment, probably one of the most proudest moments in my life with my wife, she didn't skip a beat. She goes, absolutely, you're welcome. You're absolutely welcome. In fact, you come sit by me. And if anybody gives you the stank eye, you let me know. I'll give them the stank eye. I'm the executive pastor's wife in this church, and you are definitely welcome to come to our church. And then in a moment that I look back now as like a divinely dictated statement, she said, now listen, all of us at some point or another are challenged by the word of God, like we're challenged by his standards and his guidelines and, and God's standards and guidelines are up here and we're, all of us pale or fail in comparison to his standards and 
I would surmise that all of us deal with that at some point or another, but as far as being welcome, you are definitely welcome to sit and be with us this Easter. What I was looking for, that grace and truth entree, she had nailed it in like two seconds. Would you embrace a difficult conversation, an awkward conversation, a hard conversation if you knew that it would bring God glory? Could you find yourself overcoming your stifling fear because there's a chance that God might be wanting to woo a soul if you'd speak up? And by the way, if you've ever come to church before and you, and you say, so I just don't measure up to God's standard, there's no way. My wife's standard is true. All of us come. We all place ourselves. Here's the word of God. We place ourselves underneath. We all pale in comparison to it. I'll prove it to you. Uh, I, you know, if you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend right now, you're cohabiting, uh, uh, you know, we call that, used to call that fornication, which is any sexual activity outside the realm of marriage between a man and a woman. You are living outside the standard of God. If you're addicted to any substance or vice, you are living outside the standard of God. That's pornography, alcoholism, drug addiction, whether it's a street drug or whether it's a prescription drug. All the same, don't be uh, 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 drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm supposed to be enough for you. You're living outside the standard of God. If you have divorced outside of biblical conditions, you might call that no-fault divorce, then you are living outside the, or you, you, you took an action that was outside the standard of God. Now there's forgiveness for it, and we move on, and we never go back there again, for sure. But, and there's forgiveness for it, but I'm just telling you, and if you're thinking about that right now, your, your mindset is outside the standard of God. Now, there's some of you going, great, I've, I don't know. I passed on all these. Okay, for those of you guys who think you come without a blemish, anger, selfishness, envy, strife, jealousy, slander, gossip, lying, fibbing, manipulation. If you're doing any of those activities, you are living outside the standard of God. So clearly the standard of God is so high we will never meet it. That's why we have to come through Christ. That's why. We meet God's standard through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so you're saying, well, I know that I don't think there's no way God would evaluate me in my life. I know it's gone in the past. I know there's no way God would want any part of me. What's the right answer, Pastor? I'll tell you what the right answer is. The biblical right way to respond is the way Eli responded. And it just seems to be so counterintuitive to human nature. And that is to say, that's right, I messed up. God gets to decide the standard. No blame shifting. I'm not going to put the attention on someone else or something else. No redirecting. No complaining. No, no, no complaining about fairness. No, no arguing about what's moral and immoral. He so clearly gets to decide all that. Just I messed up. And God gets to decide the standard. And so I'm not living up to the standard of God. stand arrested before him. Can I just tell you something? God can work with you there. God can work with you there. Like he's a God who pronounces pardons and forgiveness based on the cross work of Jesus Christ. He works with you there when you say, I'm arrested. I don't meet up to your standard. Yes, that's exactly where you need to be. And now you place your faith in Jesus Christ and he settles your account for you. You will not be able to settle your own account. He works with you there. But if you come haughty and, and proud, and uh, God shouldn't want that, and that shouldn't be wrong. I don't believe it's immoral. Guess what? He can't work with that. But if you come saying, yes, I'm arrested. Hey, God, you set the standard. I messed up. I fall on your mercy and your grace. 
God goes, I can meet you there. See, my son died on the cross for all the sin of the world, would take every bit of shame and sin onto the cross, dealt with on the cross. The righteousness of Jesus Christ comes onto your account. So when God looks at you, even though he sees everything that he's been gone on in the past, the present, or will go on in the future, he knows it all. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's outside of time. He forgives it based on Christ and sees you as righteous because of Christ. I want to say something. God knows every one of my warts. He knows every one of my sinful activities, every one of my bad motivations. He knows all of it. And yet he sees me as righteous, not because of my own righteousness, because of righteousness that comes with Jesus on the cross. Our solution is you put your faith in Christ. I don't care if it's like one of the big sins or one of the small sins. All of us are condemnable before God. He's holy. He's mighty. Set apart don't deserve him. So we come by his grace and his mercy and stand arrested. You get to set the standard. I fall at your mercy. Don't you bow your head. Close your eyes with me. I don't know if God's wooing you in your soul. Could be a couple ways that God's doing that today. First, if you're a believer, you got this settled already, you know this like the back of your hand. But you don't step up to the plate to speak up when God's called you to speak up. And maybe God is putting in your heart the desire to represent him in difficult situations. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ yet, and one of the things that's been holding you back for all these years is there's no way God wants any part of me. So clearly, Pastor, if you knew what I've been associated with, you would know that God doesn't want any part of me. That's the lie of the devil himself. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And God says, I will give you a righteousness that you don't deserve or you never earned. It's given to you on your account. And I will take care of your sin and shame. Your step is to take God up on that offer. Stand arrested and take God up on his offer. Father, we love you this morning. So thankful for these narratives that seem to apply so well to what we're dealing with in life. I pray that you would take the word of God, that we would marinate in it and saturate ourselves in it, and that our souls would be transformed because of it. I pray you do it right here in this room for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, Pastor David. You know, God does this thing where he calls us to himself. He draws us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you sense that, that God's calling you, that he's just like he did to Samuel. Um, and if so, and maybe today's the day you're ready to re respond to that call and say yes to Jesus' offer to forgive you and become a follower of Jesus. If that's you today, I just want you to know that we're here for you. We have people in the lobby ready to uh, answer any questions you have. They're ready to uh, talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, they want to give you one. Um, so I want to encourage you, if that's you, if God's doing something in your life, if he's drawing you and you're ready to say yes, uh, head into the lobby and go talk to them at the counter there. If you're online uh, today worshiping with us, then I encourage you to go to campcc.net, click on next steps, and fill a little form there, and one of our pastors will get back to you this week. 
Okay, we're gonna receive our offering now. It's one of the ways we worship God through tithes and offerings. It's also how all of our ministries and everything you see here is supported through the generosity of God's people. So thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness and giving. Um, there's three ways to participate uh, on the website or in the lobby in the offering box. You know, we're gonna watch a video in a minute, but before I do that, I wanna make one kind of announcement, reminder, David's been announcing the last couple of weeks, and that is that starting March 5th, we're gonna be closing the balcony, and we're gonna be putting some seat covers on in the back. Um, the reason why we were doing this, we did this, this is how, this was our setup before the pandemic, which is now three years ago. Um, and we kind of opened up more seats to allow people to spread out. Um, now we're gonna get back to kind of the way things were. But I wanna give you the heart of why we're doing it. We're not doing it just to inconvenience you, and I'm sorry if we're, if we're taking away your seat. Um, the reason we're doing it is because we feel that worship is a community activity that we need to be together and proximity matters. So we need your body here and we need your voice here during worship. Um, that's part of it. Um, that we want to be together. And the second part of it is for our guests. We always encourage people to invite a friend or family or neighbor. And especially in this service, we're kind of spread out, you know. Um, and the thought in your mind is you may not think of it if you're here just all the time, but the first time you bring a friend and they're sitting next to you and you're sitting in a big empty section, you're thinking, where is everybody, right? Well, we're here, we're just spread out in um, too many seats. So that's one of, the, one of the main reasons we need you here to help greet our friends and family that we bring. So that's the purpose. And I thank you for your cooperation with it. All right, uh, check out this video, what's coming up next at CAMCC. Hey CAMCC, I'm Abby Lemberg, the new director of our hospitality team. I'm so happy you're here with us. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out today. I'm talking Starbucks gift cards, thirst quenching mugs, and all you can eat dessert. Mark your connection cards if this is your first, second, or third time with us. Or if you're online watching, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up here at CAMCC. Who will you ask to join you? February 22nd. Seven Seas is registering the new 23 through 24 school year, beginning for members of Camrio Community Church. New student registration begins on March 1st. March 3rd, Middle School Carnival Night. We're talking inflatables, carnival games, prizes, and a mechanical bull. Say what? It's going to be awesome. For more info, chat with or email jacob at camcc.net. March 14th, Worship Night. Join us at 7 p.m. for a powerful night of worship, prayer, and scripture. If you haven't checked one of these out yet, save the date and bring a friend. April 3rd through the 7th, we have our Mexico missions trip. Save the date, middle schoolers and high schoolers. For more info, talk with or email Zach at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on here at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. I want to thank you all for being here today, and I'm Abby Lundberg, the new director of our hospitality team. Something I got out of the message was a great reminder to submit to God and to marinate in His Word and His love. 
If you are a guest, please make sure to stop by the welcome counter on your way out. And remember to grab some donuts and coffee. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.